Miraculous, in search of us, Jesus steps into the passages of history, a mystery confounding humanity, expounding upon profound truths, yet we call it profanity. He uproots the institution and defies convention, supplies contention, all while giving his attention to the outsiders. First, he faced temptation, a declaration that Christ's salvation outweighs Satan's accusations. Next, his teaching starts by breaching the ramparts of the status quo. The powerful people of his day took aim at this emergent religious insurgent, not realizing that he was simply a servant determined to pour himself out. Miracles flowed from him. While he healed the leper and commanded the weather, what was miraculous was seen as scandalous, called blasphemous. We couldn't stand for this. While he speaks the truth in every breath, we began to plan his death. Miraculous, it was all for us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Good morning. I hope you're enjoying the series that we're in on the Gospel of Matthew and this journey that we're really on as a church. Uh, I want to just want to echo what Ken said about the seminars that are coming up. That's going to be very important as we take this journey together. Also, uh, Holy Week as we, we're going into Easter Sunday. Uh, we're very excited. We're going to have services each day of Holy Week, again, as we walk with Jesus on this journey, ultimately to the cross and an empty tomb. So hope you make plans to be a part of that. This morning, though, uh, you're going to be in for a real treat. Uh, last Monday, early in the morning, I sent John Ed a text. And I just said, are you going to be at church Sunday? And he said, yeah, I plan on being there. And so I called him and I said, John Ed, do you believe in free speech? He said, yes, I do. I believe it's a right for every American. I believe in free speech. I said, good. When you come to church next Sunday, would you give one? He said... <laughs> Sure, sure, I'll do that. Uh, John Ed is amazing. In fact, uh, he has served this church either as senior pastor or pastor emeritus for almost 50 years. 50 years, yes. Absolutely amazing. And, and so many of us are here today because of him and his ministry and the way the Lord has used him. And so I know that you are going to be blessed today. And so I'm going to ask you to turn your attention one more time to the screen. Coach Dan is going to do our scripture reading for us, and then we get to hear from John Ed this morning. Thanks. Here in the river region, we've got some good fishing. A lot of folks have a favorite spot to go cast a line and see what they can catch. Now, a good fisherman knows that what kind of bait you must use depends on what you want to catch. A lure, a plug, a jig, a spinnerbait, or just a good old-fashioned live worm. <laughs> There's another kind of fishing that happens around here. Fishing for college recruits. College coaches can make or break their career based on the ability to reel in that five-star athlete with the right kind of bait. Jesus grew up around fishing as well. Most of his life was spent around the shores of the Sea of Galilee, which is about the size of Lake Martin. But the kind of fishing we see him doing in Matthew's Gospel look a little bit more like that college recruiting. In Matthew's chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, we read, 
As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And once they left their net and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now it wasn't uncommon for a rabbi, a great teacher of the law, to recruit promising young students to come and follow him. But common fishermen just say that they might not have been considered five-star followers. It seemed like Jesus is doing a different kind of fishing and he is recruiting for a different kind of team. Thank you, Coach, and thank you for the privilege of doing this. I appreciate the call, Chris. I asked him, I said, well, how do I dress? He said, we're casual. At the last two services, Jared had on a coat and tie. I didn't know it was Jared. I thought we had a visitor here somewhere. And Chris had on socks. Now, that means it's been a formal time all morning there. Thank you for letting me come and to uh, share in this, in, in this time together. It was one year ago today, one year ago today, I was speaking at Blue Lake at the annual conference, laity for laymen from across our conference. The bishop and his wife were there. During that time, he came up to me and he said, John Ed, we found a preacher for Fraser. I said, who is it? So I can't tell you. But I do know this, you're gonna be extremely satisfied with it. I said, marvelous. And then a little bit after that, it was announced that Chris Montgomery was coming here. And let me tell you, I don't believe anybody anywhere in the United States could have come here who would be better than Chris to come and to give us leadership. So I want to thank you for responding good to the bishop. But the best part of it is that Emily and Eddie Ray came with him. So that, we got, that was the best part of what we got. But thank you for, for being here. We are praying every week for some other church in town. Today, it happens to be for fresh anointing, Kyle Searcy. Now, I didn't pick the scripture reader, Dan Lewis, and he's been, we've been friends a long time, nor Kyle Searcy. Uh, that was already selected. But Kyle and I have been close friends and done a lot. In fact, the book I just completed on the front of it, there's a picture of Kyle and me down at the court square leading a prayer service for our city in improving race relations. He is at Fresh Anointing, one of the godly good leaders in our community, and what a delight for us to pray for him. Can we pray for him? Father, I lift up Kyle Searcy to you and Fresh Anointing. Thank you for the witness of this church in our community. God, it's my prayer this morning that you will just doubly bless them. And I pray that the anointing of Fresh Anointing might spill over to all other churches and that we might sense the fresh anointing. Continue for Kyle, for his family. Bless them and his church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've enjoyed doing a lot of things and spent a lot of time with coaches. I knew Coach Dan Lewis for a lot of years. You might not know it, but when he read the scripture a moment ago, he was coach at Carver High School, uh, 7A, 
and won multiple state championships in basketball and in other athletic. He is a tremendous coach. You heard him say something a while ago in the scripture that when I listened to it, sort of keyed my mind for what we would do this morning. He said, coaches have to be good at the college level of recruiting good players. And if you can't recruit good in college, you're not going to have much of a team. I began to think about that. I look back at the last national championships. You remember there was one this past Monday night. I think Alabama won their 26th national championship in the last 20 years or something, ever how many. If you go to the last 10 years, five teams have won all of the national championships. Two of them have won seven of them. If you look carefully, all 10 who have won national championships, they finished in the top three in recruiting in the nation. That just goes to show that there's a direct correlation between good recruiting and good results at the end. Now, this is what Jesus started to do, as Coach Dan said. He was starting his ministry. I just loved hearing Chris preach recently about the temptations of Jesus and the baptism, and then he kicks off his ministry. And as he does, he starts building his team, and he walks along the seashore, and he sees Peter and Andrew, and he says, hey, guys, come on, follow me. And he, they left their nets and followed him. And then he went on down the seashore, and he saw James and John. He said, hey, guys, come on, follow me. And so our whole scripture, as he read it this morning, focuses on getting off of the sidelines into the front lines. Now, these were just fishermen. They just knew how to fish, simply. Jesus said, I want to show you something bigger and better. Come after me, and I'll teach you to become fishers of people. Now, there are three things that I want to point to you. You'll find some scriptures on the screen, and you can hope, write those down and refer to them. I'm going to read some of them as we move along this morning. Uh, by the way, one of the things I've gotten into heavily in the last couple of years is the social media. In your bulletin, you'll find that every day I do a couple of presentations by video, a couple by audio, and then I post a blog every week. Conservatively, we're reaching about 75,000 folks a week. And if you'd like to plug in to any of those, you can see how to do it there in the bulletin. Well, how do you go about doing this? What is it? Three things. First, it is invitational. This scripture is invitational. Jesus said, come on, follow me. It's inviting. I want to say this morning that God is recruiting you. You're a five-star recruit. And he's going to give you the invitation to come on, follow me. It's an invitation to life. It's an invitation to get up from the sidelines and come over to the front lines with me. And I'm going to teach you something. It's so important for us to learn this. Now, can I say to you quickly, God's invitation is tough. <clears throat> it's not easy. A lot of people in church would like to just say, God, I'd be glad to go for a casual Sunday afternoon ride with you. That's not what he called us. He called us to take up a cross and follow him. In fact, it's tough. In Matthew 8, 19, one of the scribes came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go, anywhere. Jesus said, Wait a minute. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, it's not an easy route. When the top college 
coaches recruit somebody to play on their team, and you go, if you're a five-star or ten-star, it doesn't matter what you are, you're going into something that's tough. No coach ever says, come on, come on to our team. It's easy. We only practice once a week. We don't do much, not much to it. No. They said, if you come and be willing to follow what we teach you, you can become successful at everything in life. It's tough. Now, let me say quickly, we're a part of a people today as Christians who are following from this word people who followed something tough. They didn't just say, God, I'll go anywhere. They were willing to go anywhere. Hey, this morning, I'm glad when God came to Moses and called him, Moses didn't say, now God, I'll go anywhere except I don't do commandments. Or when he called Noah, Noah, come on. I'm glad Noah didn't say, now I'll go anywhere except God, I don't do floods. Or when he came to David, he said, come on. I'm glad David didn't say, God, I'll go anywhere as long as I don't do giants. And remember when he came to, to, uh, to Peter? He said, Peter, come. I'm glad Peter didn't say, God, I'll go anywhere, but I don't do preaching in Gentiles. Or when he came to Paul, Paul didn't say, I don't do prisons. Or when he came to Jesus and led him, Jesus didn't say, hey, I didn't come to do crosses. Or to Mary. I'm glad Mary didn't say, now God, I don't do virgin births. We're a part of a heritage of people who were willing to go and follow Jesus wherever it was. So when he calls you, you know it's a tough time. Now let me, we, we live in a nation and a world where people have understood. The Bible is replete with illustrations. If you love and obey and follow God, you'll be prosperous. If you don't, watch out. Could I say it right now in our world and in our nation, we're at that point and we better be careful. I believe there's a revival coming, but it's not coming to those who just want to sit and take Sunday afternoon rides. It's coming by folks who are willing to get up from the sidelines and move over to the front lines. It, too long we've had too many people say, let's put our trust in our educational system. Education's important, but it's not the answer. Others have said, let's put our faith in our economy. Economy is important, but it's not the most important. Let's put our comfort in our military. That's important, but it's not the most important. Let's put our future in politics. But politics is not the ultimate answer. And this isn't about being red or blue. It's about following the blood of Jesus Christ. It cleanses us from sin. And I don't know what your favorite animal is, but it doesn't matter if it's an elephant or a donkey. Our most important animal is the lamb of God that was slain for the world. And that's where we must find our ultimate meaning. That's where Jesus has said, hey, come on, follow me. So not only Nashville, but let me tell you about Fraser. This morning you sit here because some folks dared to follow Jesus and everybody said you're crazy. Go back to the mid-1960s. Interstate 85 and 65 interchange was built. It wiped out Fraser Church. And they said, what are we going to do? The experts came and said, well, you're small and you folks have moved everywhere. You need to just disband as a church. And there was a preacher named Noel Lisenby who when he heard that came off of his stool and said, listen, 
God gave us a past and he's going to give us a future and we're going to follow where Jesus leads us. And they said, all right, well, uh, we'll give you a little property over here in South Montgomery. And they did. And then they turned around and took the property back and gave it to another church. And so they came back to Fraser and that little small group of folks said, we want to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't have any plans for you. You need to disband. And all of a sudden a vision came and it was an opportunity to move out to East Montgomery. And you got to listen to me. This was the most least desirable place to move to. There wasn't anything in East Montgomery. And they said, you're crazy. You'll never make it out there. But listen, a small group of folks said, Jesus, is that where you're leading us? We're ready to go. And they followed and came out here. When I moved here in 1972, my parsonage was 10 miles across town. And when I wanted to eat lunch, in order to get a sandwich, I had to drive four miles down to Eastbrook to get a sandwich, unless I wanted to eat cotton. That's all that was out here was cotton fields. Now listen, you look right where you're sitting today. You're sitting here because the first folks who dared to move out here were the Fraser family. And they said, this is where Jesus is leading us. Can I say to you that when Jesus leads you, he always leads you to the place that we need to be. So it's invitational. I want you to understand that. Come on. Hey, guys. Come on. Follow me. But the second part of that is instructional. Look what he says. Follow me. Now, I will teach you. Wow. Who's going to teach us? Jesus didn't say, now, I got a book, or I'm going to introduce you to some people. No, he said, I... Jesus offered to be the mentor, the teacher, the coach as we would go. Let me tell you, God's calling you to something. Every member of this church, God is calling to a specific ministry. And he doesn't take you to the wrong place. He just says, hey, come follow me. Now, let me tell you what that meant. It meant about seeing the big picture. Get this. These disciples, all they knew was getting up, catching a few fish, and selling them. And that was a small circle. Jesus said, hey guys, come on, I'm going to teach you about a big circle. Now how big is what you're doing for Christ? How big is what you're willing to follow and see him do? About 15 years ago, I was invited by Dr. Bill Bright, head of, at that time, Campus Crusade. Today it's Crew. And he invited me to go with a small group of pastors to Atlanta. Anything he said do, I was ready to do. I was the Methodist that he knew. Most everybody there was from other parts of the world. And he shared with a small group of people. He said, I've got a vision. And in this vision, I believe that we could win one billion new Christians and start five million new churches by 2020. And everybody just sat there. And whenever he had other people about it, they said, that's stupid. That's crazy. You know you can't do that. Hey, let me tell you about God. When Jesus calls us, calls you to do something, he never makes a mistake because he will teach you how to do it. I mean, he picked folks like me to be a part of the steering committee. Let me tell you what happened last year. He was going to do it by 2020. Last year, we celebrated 
We saw five million churches planted. We saw one billion new Christians come to Christ last year. Now, everybody said, hey, that's stupid. What is God going to do in this church? What's God going to do in your life? Where's he going to lead you? Now, notice it's not only about seeing, but it's about serving. Now, why did Jesus call them? Look what he says in Matthew 10, 45. Now, now, when you come after me, you need to know something. Don't try to serve me. I'm not calling you to serve me. I didn't come, he said, to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. You know why Jesus calls us? It's to serve. He didn't say, now, hey, leave your nets. Come after me. I'm going to teach you how to serve. Everybody wants to be a leader. Look at Mark 10, 43. Jesus said, whoever wants to be a leader must first be your servant. You get that progression? Everybody wants to be a leader, but you can't lead unless you serve first. At Fraser, nobody comes in and volunteers to be a leader. You volunteer to serve someplace. Leaders are selected. Places to serve are volunteered by you because God called you to do this and to do it here. It's taking you from the sidelines to the front lines. Let me tell you something interesting. In the Bible, only six times is the word leadership mentioned. Over 900 times the word serve and servant is mentioned. Don't you think we need to have less leadership conferences and more servant conferences? Don't you think the focus of what Jesus was doing, hey, I'm not calling you to come out here so that folks can look up to you. I'm not calling you to build your ego. I'm calling you to serve. That's what Fraser's doing for you. He's calling every one of us to serve somewhere. You received one of these talent places. Well, there are a lot of things here you can pick. Now you read it. Pray about it. And because of the pandemic, it's... Some things you don't, we don't keep doing, and some things will be shorter. But now, where is Jesus calling you? Now, get this. He calls every one of us. He's trying to recruit you. And you'll never enjoy life to its fullness unless we follow. And you might say, well, Jesus, I couldn't do that. What did Jesus say now? Come on, do it. I will teach you. I will coach you. I will show you. I wish I had time to give you about 50 illustrations of that from Fraser. You find your place and start to serve. Let me just mention a couple real quickly. There was a guy in this church named Joe Overton. Wasn't real educated and hadn't been trained in much. And when he looked at that list, he said, I don't know what I ought to do. And he came to me and I remember he said, I like sports. Can I do something about sports? I said, sure. If God leads you to do it, do it. He said, well, there's an upward basketball program. I think Fraser ought to be involved. He went, trained, came back and started it. And we didn't have but a couple of teams. Then we had several teams and it started to grow. Joe Overton was a layman, just like all of you. But the way every staff person came here at Fraser, you start as a layman and then when it gets enough volunteers, you gotta have a part-time staff person to sort of organize the laity. And then when it gets big enough, you've got to have a full time. Joe Overton's the most expensive guy we ever had here at Fraser. 
All he did was build a program that grew and grew and grew. And we had to buy the church next door and make the sanctuary into a gym. And still playing two games an hour from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. wasn't enough. We had to build another gym. Four games an hour from eight until six, 80 teams. But you know what? People came to know Christ. And it made a difference. Joe then went from there to starting upward soccer and then to upward flag football. I think he was getting ready to do upward tennis or something. When it, he died last spring. Craig McKissick's carrying on in a great way. Last spring, when he died, I made some comments about what he had done. And then he died in May. About in July, I got a, this email from one of the coaches. His name was Brother Baird. Brother was a great athlete in college. He used to sit right over here at the second row at this service. And, and Brother just said, well, I think I'd like to try out that coaching. Now, Brother went to coaching upward basketball. He found his niche, and he wrote me last summer, John Ed, coaching upward basketball prepared me for going into coaching for 15 years in a high school. Then he got throat cancer and radiation. He never missed a practice or a game, even though he couldn't say things sometimes, and he kept at it. And brother died in October. Between the time that Joe Overton died in May and he died in October, he wrote me this note I have here. And he just said, John Ed, he said, I just need to share with you something. He talked about coaching. And then he said, about a year ago, that would have been sometime about now, a guy came up to me at church one Sunday and introduced himself and said he was a player on the first upward team I coached. And it changed his life. And he came and said, tell me, how can I become a coach like you? Because I want to make a difference in people's lives. He said, John Ed, you can imagine, I was blown away. All because Joe Overton answered the call, and I answered the call. I know that there are two new folks in heaven, me and my player, and hundreds and hundreds of others. Let me ask you, what's God calling you to do? There's no unimportant ministry if Jesus calls you to it. And look what Joe Overton and Brother Baird, both of whom were here this time last year, but now in their eternal home. But let me tell you the most important thing about eternity is who do you carry with you? My wife, Lynn, started having some trouble a few years ago <clears throat> with her voice. And she coughed a lot. And her doctor said, hey, there's a new pulmonologist in town. Let, let me uh, get you an appointment with him. And so she said, fine. And she asked me, said, they're new in town. <clears throat> Would you like to go with me? I'd never been with her to the doctor before. I said, I'd like to do that. So we went to see Dr. Gayton Lorino. And he examined her and did all that stuff, treated her. By the way, he cured her problem. And then Lynn just asked him, said, I know you and you in town. Where do you go to church? They, Gayton said, well, we hadn't been here long. We hadn't found a church. They'd been here a couple of years. They hadn't really been looking for a church. So, well, how about coming with us? And we'd like to pick you up. 
And we did. Now his wife is also a medical doctor, an oncology radiologist. And they came to church. And they came back. And they came back. Then one Sunday they came forward and were received into the life of the church. And where do you serve today? Gate and Lorino serves on my board, a nonprofit ministry. And his wife, Cindy, she served as the chairman and served on the staff parish committee for three years. And they teach a Sunday school class. Now, all it was just one invitation from this lady sitting right here. Where do you go to church? And it transformed their lives. I was preaching in an African-American church about three years ago. And somehow I mentioned their name. And right in the middle of the service, this lady jumps up and says, I know them. I'm alive because of them. I was in prison up here at, uh, at the women's prison. And they came up there. And they led me to Christ. And I've got a new lease on life. Let, let me ask you, what are you doing for God's kingdom? Where are you leading people? Now let me tell you about the intentionality of this. It's so intentional that Jesus said, I'm going to teach you what? How to fish for people. The purpose of the church and every Christian, hear me, is to win people to Jesus Christ. We do a lot of good things in the church, but the main thing is to win people to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come on guys, follow me. I'm going to teach you what? How to fish for people. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's what the Lorenos did. And this past week, my wife said, she has a place here on East Chase Parkway. She said a guy stopped in three days ago, I guess it was last Thursday, and he left this card. And said, I said, well, what happened? said, well, he came in and said, does John Ed come by here? She said, well, not when we got stuff to move or anything like that. But he does come by occasionally. So she said, I want to give you this card. And I want to tell you what the man said. This is his card. and said, just tell John Ed, I'm a Christian because he led me to Christ. Now let me tell you, that's the best paycheck anybody will ever get. That's the most important thing. What have you accomplished in life? Nothing is as important as bringing somebody to know personally Jesus Christ. That's what it's really about. And when you go to heaven, the only thing you'll ever carry with you are the folks that you've let Jesus use you to bring them into the kingdom. Now the last verse of scripture you see on that screen is from Matthew it's the last words Jesus spoke. Now, now get this. I just shared with you some of the first words in his public ministry. Come on, I'm going to make you fishers of men. That was first. His last words were, now, when I leave, you all go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, from beginning to end, he had the same concern and the same message. And guess what? He calls us in the church to do the same. Let, let me ask you, where are you serving? Where are you going to serve? Pray about that. Remember, Jesus said, now, hey, I will teach you, 
But also remember the purpose of it. It's intentional in order that you might fish for people. I got good news for you. In both cases, you heard Coach Lewis read a moment ago. It says, they jumped up, left their nets where they were, and followed Jesus. I think it's time to jump today. This is January. What about a January jump? Isn't this a good time to jump up from where we are? and To go to where God's calling us to be and to follow him. Very simple. Hey, guys. Come on. Jesus is recruiting you. He's recruiting for his team. And this is a critical time in history for his team. He's recruiting. Hey, come on. Follow me. And I will teach you. Be your coach in order that you might know how to fish for people. What do you and I want to do about that? Father, for the gracious invitation, the instructions, the intentionality of how you begin your public ministry. Thank you. Now, God, may it not fall on deaf ears with us this morning, but each of us has to make a response. Where will we serve? Where are you going to lead us? How open are we to following you? Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.